Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Assemblyman John McDonald. And Assemblyman McDonald is going to talk about the passing of Sheldon Silver. So he had a pretty rough time um, leading up to his death. He was in and out of prison and stuff. So, you know, the newspapers didn't say what was the cause of death. Um, was it old? I mean, he he was older, but he wasn't that terribly old. Was it illness? Was it age? What do you think? You no, know, Cynthia, I really don't know. Um, you know, he did have a variety of different health conditions. I, I wasn't really privy to specifically. I saw reported some kind of cancer at one point. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, like anything else, when we get to a certain age, um, one disease leads to another, and, and the complications are usually what leads to death. Mm, that's too bad. So, you know, as far back as I, I've been involved in politics, um, there were a number of leaders who, for one reason or another, had to step down. Mel Miller, before Sheldon Silver had to step down, Sheldon Silver had to step down, um, Joe Bruno, Skelos, Cuomo, Spitzer. I mean, it's like all these people that reached the top all of a sudden fall from grace. What do you think that is? You know, I don't know. We should do a little minor clarification in regards to Joe Bruno. Joe Bruno actually decided um, to leave office to go into the private sector, but then some troubles ensued later on, of which eventually he was exonerated. That being said, um, I think part of the challenge is uh, for someone to rise to leadership, um, there's not a clean and straight path. There's always going to be some kind of deal-making going on. And, you know, whether it's intentional or unintentional, lines will be crossed. And when those lines are crossed, um, depending on whose radar screen it falls onto and depending on it was something in the public's interest or the self-interest will dictate where things will go from there. You know, the unfortunate part with Sheldon, Sheldon Silver, or actually the truth in regards to Sheldon Silver is this. He did a very, very much good for many people throughout the state of New York. Mm-hmm. He really was the one who put the highest importance on education, K-12, but also pre-K, and also on the other end of the spectrum in regards to opportunity programs. That is not even a debate. It's a fact it's not even a debate about the fact that he and Joe Bruno and George Pataki played an integral role in creating Semitech, which then led to Nanotech, which then led to Global Foundries, which for the capital region residents has brought significant growth into our region and therefore has brought greater opportunity for many individuals, irregardless of where they live. I know some people say, well, a person on Second Street in Albany is not working at Global Foundries. No, but you know what? They may be working for a company that supplies them. And there's opportunity abounds forever. And our capital region stands out as one of the few that's grown over the past decade. That being said, 
Sheldon Silver also negotiated and took actions for his own self-interest. And that's where he ran afoul on the law, on the principles of government officials. And that's why he was found guilty and after several appeals, eventually went to prison. Now, you served, uh, what, what the correct phrase, but you served under him, right? I was a member of the assembly while Sheldon Silver was a speaker from 2013 until he was, until he stepped down as uh, as um, speaker in 2015, and then eventually he, um, you know, did not seek re-election. He was a member. I, there was it was a very interesting time where, you know, in in one week he was the the leader, and. A couple months later, he comes back and sitting in the chamber like a member. He did not immediately leave office. People tend to forget that. He actually stayed on as a member. He just gave up his leadership position. Wow. I remember a number of years ago, there was an assemblyman, Mickey Kearns, who challenged Silver for this Mm -hmm. speakership and and lost. And Mm -hmm. he was... He was more or less exiled. Um, well, Mickey, Mickey was a, a um, Mickey was a member from a very conservative part of Buffalo. He was a Democrat, but a conservative part of Buffalo. He was representing the interests of the people who elected him. He challenged the speaker, and he was excluded from the from the Democratic majority conference. And after that term, he decided to throw in the towel, right? Or did he run again? Oh, no, no. He he um, actually was reelected back to the Assembly. Um, once mm-hmm. again, that's reflective of what his constituency elected him to do, was to come back to Albany and challenge the Speaker. And then he ran and is now currently the Buffalo uh, City Clerk. Oh, wow. You yeah. know, scandal-sold newspapers... Scandal sells, uh, scandal increases ratings on TV and on the radio. And when I mentioned all of the, the people that have stepped down, when you read about them or, or see them on the news, they never go into the details of the good that they did. You know, there were a number of people who really, really cared about Joe Bruno uh, Sheldon Silver, but once they, once once they passed on, people read in the paper. Oh, he was, you know, convicted, or he did this, or he did that. Doesn't that, uh, isn't that a disservice to leadership in New York State? Well. It's like anything in life. People are going to have their judgments of individuals. Personally, was I disappointed in what Sheldon Silver was found out to be guilty of? Yes, I was. Very disappointed. However, I haven't forgot the good work that he's done uh, for individuals that he never really would know, right? A lot of work that we do in government are policies that we know are going to benefit somebody down the road. Uh, the problem is when those policies start to benefit yourself. And that was the case, unfortunately, with Sheldon Silver. And, you know, you mentioned Joe Bruno. Joe Bruno is another great example. I don't know where the Capital Region would be today without the 
the leadership of Joe Bruno over all these years. He really saved, I'd say he saved the capital region and has made a significant impact on saving upstate New York. But you're right, you know, um, people are going to have their judgments. Uh, they're going to have their opinions. Um, and you know what? That's not for me or anybody else to change people. You're going to de- determine your own positions based on what you know and hear. And like anything else, and this is what gets me in trouble usually in the legislature, but it's why I am where I am is because, you know, we as elected officials have a responsibility to listen to everybody and to ask questions. And if we ask questions, it doesn't mean that we don't like something. It just means that we want to know more because there are concerns that people raise. People have made Mm -hmm. their judgment on Sheldon Silver a long time ago. They just didn't like this guy from Manhattan coming up and putting in a lot of these progressive policies. Little do many people know that some of these progressive policies actually turned out to benefit their own family members and maybe that individual themselves. But, you know, they, they, you know, it's hard for people to look, look, look uh, beyond their prejudice. Mm. I think it's unfortunate that, that there have been so many leaders over the past 30 years who, for one reason or another, had to resign. I mean, when yeah. people well, think about that, they don't think about, oh, he did this for Albany or Cohoes or the Capital Region or New York City or the state as a whole. All they think about is the scandal. Would you agree? I think that's what weighs heavily on some people's minds. Other people who are, are, are a little bit more um, understanding, a lot of people who are more comprehensive will look at a picture of a person in the whole totality of their life. But to be clear, um, Cynthia, you know, at this stage of the game, it doesn't matter what you think or I think. It's, he's going to be, Sheldon Silver is going to be judged by a much higher authority and a higher power at this stage. Um, where he is now, so that's that's you know that's why we, you know, it's a it's a message for everybody. You go out there and, and live your life, but be mindful of the fact that you know that plays a role in in the total outcome. I remember one time I was at the Capitol and Sheldon Silver was walking through the halls of the Capitol, and I looked at him and I thought, "Wow, he did." He didn't have the stature, stature, I believe. His appearance was not that of a leader. He just seemed like an ordinary guy. Uh, did you have he did not, say? He did, he, you, you know what? You're, you, you're onto something. He did not carry himself with a high air by any stretch of the imagination. He was gruff at times. As a matter of fact, I think one of the reasons why uh, the speaker – you know, had his challenges with his persona was the fact that he was just rough. He would, he didn't really, on certain individuals, he didn't really care what they thought. He had a, 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 a policy he was pushing. It was usually backed up by the majority of the members of his conference in one way or the other. And his job as a leader is to listen to the members who listen to the public. And, you know, sometimes he just was gruff and, and I remember talking to Ron Canistrieri, uh, who, you know, as you know, Ron is a neighbor, a friend, who was my mayor at a one time, and rose to be the majority leader of the state of New York under Shelley. And I was the mayor uh, in Cohoes. I remember meeting Shelley for the first time, and I was like, geez, Ron, he's not really a Hallmark greeting card. He goes, no, that's not what he is. He's the first to tell you that. He's a smart man, and he was a smart man. I can attest to that. Um, but 
you know what? Uh, he got outsmarted. Mm-hmm. When when uh, Hasty became speaker after Shelly Silva um, stepped down, I don't think that Andrew Cuomo was 100% uh, favorable towards towards Hasty. I remember Cuomo saying some not so nice things about Hasty. Do you remember that? Yeah, you know it's interesting with the go- the former governor. He he had a hard time actually saying the speaker Hasty's name right. He used to call him Hasty, which always used to drive me bonkers. I think once we finally got him to correct that. Um, Carl Hasty has a different style than Sheldon Silver. Uh, Carl Hasty um, should not be underestimated. Everyone mentioned how Sheldon Silver is smart. He was smart. He was very clever. Um, Carl Hasty is streetwise, and he's been around politics a long time. He also has been wise enough to have the right people be chairs and the right people to be um, staff to help advise him as we carve out policy. And, you know, I I don't think – I can tell you that the governor and and the speaker were not best of friends. But on the other hand, you know, and this is the lesson for the day is that in government, there's no friends or enemies. At least in my world, there shouldn't be. You can have disagreements. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have to despise or hate the person. Um, And, you know, that's how I live my life. I know that's how the speaker lives his life. He does not get twerked when the governor says something. And at the same token, he doesn't try to say something to twerk the governor. At the end of the day, it's focusing on what are the best policies for the public. And that's what uh, Speaker Hasty has been focused on. So there's been uh, stuff in the paper where the um, legislature wants to pass reforms so that corruption doesn't happen. How's that coming along? You know, it's, it's been interesting because incrementally, at least for the last 10 years I've been here, we have been passing a variety of different reforms um, and, and, and a variety of different mechanisms to expand disclosure, which gives the opportunity for those interested to identify those issues. And we've added much more training in regards to ethics and workplace and sexual harassment. But they're not sexy. They're not really exciting. They're not newsworthy, even though it goes on and on and on. And if you step back, absent the former governor's um, issues, for the most part in the legislature, things have been relatively quiet the last four to five years. That being said, um, this is where it's a shared responsibility, a shared responsibility, obviously, with the legislators to make sure that we're doing our best to have the greatest disclosure and accountability to the public. But at the same time, Cynthia, the public needs to be more engaged. Now, we just had a new member of the legislature um, installed in office. He ran in a special election. Nice guy. I've met him, shook hands with him, welcomed him to the House the other day. He was elected with 890 votes. Wow. Now, it was a special election. But even when you look at our system of elections, um, you know, in, in a primary, if I had a primary up here, I might get, a, you know, 11,000, 12,000 votes out of a district of 130,000 people. Now, it's a primary, so 
you have to look at the political parties and things like that. But in New York City, there's a lot of members getting elected with a couple thousand votes regularly on primaries, and they don't have a general election because it's so overwhelmingly Democratic. So mm-hmm. why am I saying that and sharing that? The bottom line is the public needs to know who is running for office. They need to get involved. This is why, and I am the only member in the Assembly that does this because I have legislation to put this into law, we are required every May to fill out our ethics disclosure form. I have legislation, and I actually do this as a matter of policy. You can go on my website, and you'll see what the the intent of the legislation is, which is to post my disclosure form on both my state website as an assembly member and my campaign website. Why do I do that? Because I believe the public has a responsibility to get to know their legislator. Now, that ethics mm-hmm. disclosure form gets into a lot of the details, who I am, where I live, who's in my household, what do I do for a living, who, you know, what I don't, don't do for a living, what interests do I have, what, you know, what, what are my financial interests. You know, it doesn't get down to the dollars and cents, but it gives you a genuine idea. I have been pushing that legislation for five years going nowhere because there's just a – but I'm going to keep pushing it because I firmly believe it's just another step, another tool in the toolbox to build greater trust and accountability – greater accountability of elected officials and greater trust with the public. Um, you know, we're a month in, into this session. Um, what's the burning issues for this session? Right now, we are in the process of hearings um, in the budget. We've had two days of hearings. They've lasted, on average, 10 hours per day. They're very long. They're virtual, so everybody can participate. There's no difficulty with accessing it. And quite frankly, as as much as you and I have talked about the the drama, the spectacle, whatever you want to call it, of having that in person is great, but – we've noticed more and more people are participating because it's virtual because they could do it from the comfort of their office. They don't have to truck here all the way from Buffalo or Brooklyn to participate. So we are focusing on that. We've only got two days down out of about 13 to go. Um, That is really, you know, it it is all budget, budget, budget this time of year until March 31st. The governor has put forth a very strong budget. I'm very happy that she's invested money in programs we've normally had to restore like, you know, a HEOP, which is higher education for individuals. Uh, she put in a proposal to reduce the tap gap, which has had a significant impact on families. And we still have challenges as well. And we're going to keep working on those, particularly when it comes to child care. Um, there's not enough resources for there. There's not enough resources for mental health uh, for children and adults. Um, and also areas that I really feel strong about, which is those individuals who care for the disabled and struggle with mental health. They've been left behind for raises, as so have the individuals working in the field of substance use and also home care. So we are advocating to, to get caught up a little bit on, on what's been really cut for the last 10 years. I want I want to talk a little bit about um, funding for campaigns. There was an interesting article that was written by 
Chris Churchill in the Times Union, and Chris Churchill had mentioned that Kathy Hochul had raised a substantial amount of money. And the gist of the article said that she raised this money to scare other candidates from, you know, jumping into the arena. And one of the people he mentioned was Cuomo. Do you think that Kathy Hochul, by raising, you know, a substantial amount of money, will will uh, hinder Cuomo from making a decision to run for governor again? That's a difficult question. Um, you know, the former governor has about sixteen million dollars, which is a significant amount of money. So I don't know if that, you know, if if she has about five million dollars more, if that's going to really hinder him. Um, I don't know if he's actually. I don't know exactly what she said. I, I read an article that referenced that she may have said this to the editorial board of the Times Union, but I don't know if that's been factualized at this stage of the game. So it's hard to really diff- comment on that per se. Suffice it to say that you know, money in campaigns um, is necessary when you have to speak to a large audience whether it's in an assembly district, a senate district, or statewide. Um, You know, it's a very challenging thing. Um, Personally, I've always advocated for lower ceilings on contributions. I think that's much more wiser. Um, I think, you know, the fact that somebody can max out at $70,000 for the executive is a significant amount of money. Um, I think it's crazy that people can max out at $4,400 $4,400 for an assembly member. I don't really have, I don't really do a lot of fundraising to be honest with you. I mostly it's slow donors uh, for the most part. And then some, you know, agencies that I, not agencies, but organizations I work with. Um, but you know, it's gotten a little bit crazy at times. And, and so I think a ceiling of a thousand or $2,000 per, per donor is more than sufficient over an election cycle. Do you think that that raising a substantial amount of the the fact that a a candidate has to raise a lot of money causes corruption? You know, like anything else, it's better if there's a connection. You know, where you have individuals of fall is when they've accepted contributions to do something in exchange. Um, on the same token, you know, there are individuals that, you know, I personally have always supported Paul Tonko. I like Paul. I'm not looking for something from him. I'm not asking for something from him. What I expect is what I get, which is great public service. And people should not be denied that freedom. So it cuts both ways. And, of course, you know, the people who usually talk about it are the ones who either are getting something or aren't getting something. And, you know, that reality is is that that's the extremes. For the most part, there's a lot of people out there that like to support individuals who represent the values that they have, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's when it gets to be outrageous amounts of money, you definitely, you know, you, your eyebrows get raised, and you want to make sure that there's nothing untoward. Well, um, the season for re-election is, is coming up. Uh, will there be a full-blown 
um, petitioning, or will it be uh, like last year and the year before, where it's, the window is shorter and the amount of signatures a candidate has to get is shorter? You know, um, that hasn't been determined. That hasn't been determined yet, Cynthia. Um, as you know, we are going to be probably voting on redistricting this week um, because the independent redistrict commission failed to complete its task, which is to deliver a single map to the legislature to consider. So, um, you know, legislative commissions have been have, have actually been involved throughout the past year, monitoring um, not only the work of the IRC but also monitoring the comments from the public. Um, that being said, um, you know, we need to accomplish that task first. And if that's done this week, then it's very likely that uh, a March 1st petitioning can start, and there's no reason why it can't be completed uh, in its normal cycle. If it gets delayed by lawsuits and things like that, well, that may truncate the process. Um, and that's something we would probably address before the end of February. I remember last year there was controversy over, you know, uh, going around and getting signatures and putting yourself at risk. Do you think that's still going to be a, a, an issue this year? I think we're still. I think we're get, we're moving on the downside of what's going on with Omicron and COVID in general. The numbers are dropping precipitously. I think it's too early to tell. I think we'll know in about two or three more weeks. But the numbers are looking. Okay. Very positive. Great. So in our closing moments, do you have anything that you want to add to this discussion? Not really. I think we've kind of covered a lot of different areas. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it's budget time, so we're focusing on a lot of different priorities, uh, trying to make sure that we give working families an opportunity to to lift themselves up and, and also at the same token to try to take some of the pressure off families and their governments that they work with or live in to make sure that they have a, an affordable and functional society. So it's an interesting time. So uh, your district covers three counties. You have part of Albany, part of Rensselaer, and part of Saratoga County. If yeah. anybody in your district wants to contact you, how could they do so? Sure, they can call the office at 511, uh, excuse me, 518-455-4474. They can call me on my cell phone, 518-365-2569. They can email me, mcdonaldj at nyassembly.gov. Um, those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of them. I usually encourage people just for for saving them some time is, um, you know, put in writing what your thoughts are. Send me a note. Uh, as I always say, people, you always get a response, and people are always amazed at that. You always get a response, and then we can try to address their concerns or issues or receive their thoughts. So, Assemblyman McDonald, thank you for being on Focus on Albany, and thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.